everybody. Greetings, greetings, and welcome to this podcast where we're going to talk about how to read the ECG. ECG reading is probably one of the most important things you're going to do in your career. And it, we seem to be getting an ECG for every patient. You know, I, you know, I sometimes get an ECG handed to me when somebody's slipped and fallen over and sprained their ankle. And uh, they don't need it, but we get it. And not only do we get the ECG, but we are expected to read it, look at it within 20, 30 seconds, bang, we've got to get the diagnosis, we've got to get it right. There's people looking at us, expecting us to get it right. There's a lot of pressure. Reading ECGs has always seemed to be very difficult. And I remember having this great little book when I was at university called, uh, I think it was something called ECGs are simple or something, ECGs made simple. And I always used to have to have this mantra in the book that said ECGs are simple to read. Well, they're not simple to read. They're actually quite complex to read. And uh, I used to always find them complex until I sat down at some point and said, okay, what are the most important ECGs that I have to decipher? What are the things that are going to make a difference to my patient? Okay, so if somebody's got chronic sinus tachycardia syndrome, sometimes occurs in female patients, and there's been a blog I've written on this on resource.com.au, well, it doesn't really matter right there and then. What I need to know is what are going to be the bad ECGs, the ones I don't want to miss. And I want to be able to pick it up in 20 to 30 seconds. And so I developed this approach or a formula that I use, which is pretty much very similar to what you've been used to before, calculating the rate and the rhythm and everything else. But I do it looking for specific things that I remember. And it allows me to read an ECG in about 20 to 30 seconds. Now, when you're first starting out, it'll take you a minute or two, and that's fine. But if you practice this kind of system, you'll be able to read all ECGs. Now, whether you're doing this because you're studying for a fellowship exam or you're doing this because you know you want to get better at reading ECGs, it's the same. There are only so many ECGs that you will be presented with because there are only so many diseases out there. In the fellowship exam, for example, there are X number of ECG patterns that they ask year after year after year. And let me tell you, if you're walking into a fellowship exam without knowing how to read ECGs backwards, you're crazy. You've got to be able to do them. You're going to get at least two of them, maybe three. Uh, so you've got to be able to read them and read them quickly. And, um, you know, there's there's the stuff that I'll go through today. There's uh, blogs that I'll put links to in the bottom here that I've written. Uh, there's also, I run an ECG course, which is ecgcore.com, uh, which is, I think, for the... the, the um, the cost of two cups of coffee a month or so takes you through videos of how to read ECGs, gives you multiple examples, or you can go to the up here to the website on resus.com.au and click on the teaching section and it scrolls down and you can see ECG library and you can do a bundle of ECGs there. Whatever you do, you've got to practice this. But okay, so what's the formula that I use? For me, it's important to know that I've got about six or seven steps total. Probably about six would be the most. My first step is always, is this ischemia or is this arrhythmia? Now, if it's an ischemic kind of story, you know, a patient comes in with... Now, they can have both. They can have an arrhythmia and an ischemia. But if we're looking at trying to just separate the two, is this ischemia, is this arrhythmia? If it's ischemia, has the person presented with chest pain? And so 
or heaviness or shortness of breath or something. So I will look for the ischemic um, elements of an ECG. So I look at the STT segments. I look at them in the arterial territories, the anterior, the lateral, the inferior. Uh, I'll look at posterior leads if I need to. And I'll look specifically for ischemia. If it's an arrhythmia, the first thing I want to know is, is it fast or is it slow? And is it a tachyarrhythmia for real? So, and if it's a tachyarrhythmia, is it a wide complex or is it a narrow complex? And if it's a wide complex, for me, if I think it's a VT, it's got to be above 120 beats uh, for it to be a wide complex tachycardia being VT. If it's not above 120 beats and it's a wide complex, then it's going to be something like hyperkalemia or a sodium channel blockade, for example. And I will put up the video uh, of a talk I did at the ASM and I presented at EM Core called The Arrhythmias of the Apocalypse and remind you of these mimics of these wide complex tachycardias that you've got to be careful of. But if the rate's greater than 120 and it's a wide complex, and I mean a real wide complex, you know, greater than three small squares, then you're dealing with potentially VT or a, or a bundle branch block uh, or, or an SVT with aberrancy is what I mean. If it's a bradycardia, is it some kind of block? Is it a Mobitz of some sort? Is it a junctional bradycardia? You've got to work this out. And then all those other things I think about, you know, is it WPW, is it Brigada, is it all those other things. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that it's simple. So I start with and I say, is it ischemia? Is it arrhythmia? And why I'm presenting you with this whole bundle of things that you can think of is that our brains don't work in series where you go, is it ischemia? Is it arrhythmia? And the next thing I want to look at, what's the rate? And our brains work in parallel. So we're doing a lot of different things at the same time. So when I'm looking at the rate, I'm also looking at the PR interval. and I'm looking at everything else and I file it away. But going back to my system, is it ischemia or is it arrhythmia? This prepares me a little bit for where I'm going to look. The second thing I look at is, what's the rate? And I calculate this simply by um, counting the number of QRS complexes along the rhythm strip and multiplying by six. And that really is very good for when you're dealing with atrial fibrillation. You can use all the other techniques. That's the one I use. Um, I then work out and say, okay, is what's, what's the... The rate not only of the of the atrium but of the ventricle. So usually we work out the ventriculate. I'd like to work out the atrial rate as well and just see because there's other things that are going to be in there. Uh, and I go through this in detail on a lot of the websites and stuff. But you can look all of that up. Once I work that out, I want to know is it sinus rhythm? And again, it's to do with the P wave. And I look at the P waves and make sure that they're upright in two and inverted in AVR. If they're not, it's some kind of you know, atrioventricular, some kind of junctional thing that's going on. I've got to work that out. I then go away and look at the QRS complexes. And the questions I ask is, are they tall? Are they small? Are they wide? Are they narrow? Do they have the abnormal morphology of a delta wave? And are they clumped? And so the questions there answer, are they tall? Are they small? Is there hypertrophy? And... You can look up, you know, the stuff on the website about um, about how to work that out and what you use for criteria. Are they wide? Are they narrow? Very simple. Do we have a wide complex here or not? Uh, do they have a delta wave or WPW? And WPW is a great mimic. You've got to look at all the potentials of WPW, and there's all sorts of stuff on the website for that. Um, and are they clumped? 
Now, if they're clumped, you've always got to start thinking about a Mobitz block of some sort. And you might have missed it in your P waves, but you've got to go back. And the way I work out Mobitz blocks is really, really straightforward. If I go back and I look at the P waves and there are more P waves than QRSs, I start thinking about a block. The key is the P to P interval. If the PP interval is not constant, it's a premature atrial contraction. If the PP interval is constant, then you can start looking at a block. And the next thing I look at is the PR interval, of course. If the PR interval prolongs and then you miss a complex, it's a Mobitz one wanky back. If the PR interval stays the same and you miss a QRS complex, then it's a Mobitz two. And if the PR interval is all over the shop, that means you've got a third degree heart block. A third degree heart block also gives itself away by the fact that you've got more P waves than QRSs, but usually you'll find that your ventricular rhythm is constant because it's firing from the ventricles and not as a result of the P wave coming through the Hispokinji system. So once I've done QRS complexes, I look at the ST segments. What are they doing? Is it ischemia? Is it pericarditis? Is it benign early repolarization? And I have a look at all of those things. And specifically, I look at the T waves. Is this, is this a T wave of hyperkalemia? Is there a P wave potentially hidden in the T wave? Uh, are there U waves following the, the T wave, which might indicate hypokalemia? I then look at the intervals. What's the PR interval? Is it prolonged? And what's the QT interval? And calculating the QT corrected interval is very, very important. And then the last thing I always look for is, are there spikes, pacing spikes? Because it's easy to miss a pacing spike in an ECG. That's it. That's the formula for reading ECGs. That's the way I read all my ECGs. Now, we go into a lot more um, detail than that if you watch the videos on ecgcore.com. Um, and we also talk about a lot more of that on the face-to-face -face days when we're doing the, uh, the fellowship course. However, that's the basis. So I'll link you to the ECG library below. I'll send you so that you can have a look at uh, some of these blog posts. And I want you to keep trying. And if you've got interesting ECGs and you're unsure or you're concerned or I would love to hear from you, you can email me at info at resus. .com.au and I will answer those for you and we will come up with a system and I will assist you. I mean, this is so important. Reading the ECG is so important. So I want you to get this right. All right, thank you for listening. It's Peter Cass saying goodbye for another week and it's, uh, well, maybe less than a week. It's, there's a lot of work for you to do. Get into it. Uh, you will love it when you do it. And I'm telling you, this is one of the most important areas. If you get really good at ECGs, you are the king or the queen of the emergency department. So enjoy it. Peter Cass, signing off. <laughs>